Hi everyone. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that you can now support Crisis Twink with a small monthly donation to help support future episodes and operating costs. There's absolutely no pressure to do this. Culture Pig and Crisis Twink will always be free, but any and all donations are highly appreciated. If you go to the show notes in whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, there should be a link marked listener support, and you can choose to contribute however much you want in just an easy monthly donation. So if that is something that you want to do, which you know, I mean, very chic look for you to do that. Very sexy, very cool to be financially generous. Come on, sugar daddy. Yes. Yes, God. Hunty slunty sleigh, I say. Um, it would be really nice if you did it. So, And it is very unhinged to be doing this. And everything I just said for the past like 10 seconds is so unhinged. But uh, yeah, absolutely try doing a donation if you can. Thanks. And on with the show. Welcome to Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. I can't do this voice for the full thing. <laughs> Whether it's a flop <laughs> album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed, or you'll die and go straight to hell, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I'm the only spooky twink who can save a culture in crisis. Joining me today are two dear friends. It's Josh Barrett and Andrew Katsaharakis. Aw. Hey Hi, there. fellas. How, How are we doing? doing? Well, you know, I think this pod is very Halloween appropriate because that was the spoopiest voice I've heard in a long time. Okay. I, I tried to do something a little fun. <laughs> very friend. I, look, it's, Halloween is about theatricality. It's about channeling, like, the spirit of the devil like being possessed being like like having pazuzu like take over your brain for a week and just like dance around and stuff you know like this is a night for imps ghouls witches spirits it's about if you're not one of those things i don't want you to listen this week (laughs) for me it's about scaring away kids from my front door with my natural facial features so i am all about this season I think that is in the spirit of things. Um, what are you guys going on as for Halloween this year? Ooh, that's a fantastic question. I have to, I'm going to visit a friend in New York and I have to come up with a New York class costume. We were going to be Pfizer shots one and two, but I think we're going to have to get a little spicier than that. <laughs> I really wanted to do squid gang and get a fake grill, like a really ornate tracksuit and hope oh that God. that can but time will tell. Time will tell for that one. It's so crazy. I feel like Squid Game is like, no offense, because that's a good idea, but like, it's already a little dated almost. Like, those. Everyone's been talking about how everyone's going to be doing the Squid Game costumes, but how many people are actually like buying fencing masks right now? You know, are we really going to be going to Halloween parties and there will be a hundred pink soldiers at every single Halloween party? No one's that like. I I saw some article the other day that was like, green tracksuits are basically out of stock all I over stand, the country i stand very, very corrected then shit <laughs> but also like how many of those actually are for sale you know like with what with the oh, yeah. supply chain and all 
Um, the collapse I, of global yeah. civilization. You haven't seen Eevee come out of the woodwork with a new green velour tracksuit just in time. This seems like exactly the thing to dig him out of his multi-million dollar hole. <laughs> he drops them tomorrow and then they're immediately for sale and will guaranteed ship by Halloween. 100%. I need that. If Andrew, what are you going as? I, oh my God. So I kind of came to this conclusion recently and my costume idea is one where if I was to like go out and buy what it should be normally, it's going to be expensive. I need to go and a thrift shop the next two days to find all the pieces for like a white three-piece suit because I'm going to try and go as Doug Dimmodome, owner of the Dimsdale Dimmodome. <laughs> Beautiful. Where are you going to get a 40-foot hat? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paper mache it. <laughs> paper, gonna, you know what? Paper mache is the most Halloween thing I can. I think you right? can do. Beyond carving I mean, a pumpkin or like like literally summon, summoning the devil, like paper mache. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to sit in my backyard and keep sculpting this fucking hat until it becomes like as structurally unsound as it can be. And when it doesn't collapse, that's when it's finished. Well, I hope you like keep it around as like a monument <laughs> to human achievement. Like, like, you know, you, you, you know, those like people in like the middle of fucking nowhere, not saying that you live in the middle of fucking nowhere, but like th- there's like some farmer in Iowa who like years after he dies, like, the the landowners like the the like the people the board the coalition who like owns the land walk with me here they discover like great works of art in the middle of his cornfield and it's it's he'd been doing them for years and years and years but no one knew that he was doing it because he was just doing it for himself that could be you with your paper mache hat Right, but if some but if someone goes into the crawl space of my house and finds a forty foot tall paper mache cowboy hat, I hope they call the cops. That's a okay. A brag that you have a house and a crawl space <laughs> like that is know, the right? down behavior. Bold of me to assume a forty foot crawl space for your fucking structurally unsound Doug Dimino hat. Hey, you know, millennial, <laughs> millennial homeowner, just call me Dimma Daddy. Dimma Daddy. <laughs> Gonna get you're, you're Dimma Dunn, son. You're dim and done. I will say both of your ideas are way better than the, well, one of them I'm not going to reveal on camera or on camera. Oh my God. On pod, because I, it has yet to be seen whether anything actually comes in time for this costume, but I do as a notorious asshole have an exact replica of Ryan Gosling's jacket from drive (laughs) that was gifted to me by friend of the pod, John Boone, that I will probably be busting out this year for a costume just because I genuinely do not have the creative energy to like do anything else right now. I I know the listeners are going to see this, but can you do your best Ryan Gosling stare for us to see if you have the, uh, the face, right? Audio reactions to follow. (laughs) <laughs> and he's grinning ear to ear. <laughs> like I haven't seen I haven't seen that movie since I was like oh actually I saw I saw it like the summer after it came out basically and I've not watched it since then. I I think that this the, the costume is excellent. The theme, the contrast between driving and the fact that Twinks cannot drive, I think is really good. Just some really good content beyond the H- hate speech on my podcast that that that's that's enough and you know what that's a perfect segue into our first segment we are gonna play go call the governor spooky edition i'm going to present you with three halloweeny scenarios from recent and or ancient history and you're going to decide whether or not the governor needs to be called 
there are no wrong answers, but your choice is binary. Does the governor need to be called or not? Fantastic. So let's play. All right, I'm going to start off with a pretty easy one. Candy corn. Does the governor need to be called? Absolutely. Okay. 100%. No, absolutely. So why? Because I, I think I used to be where you two are, but for whatever reason, I don't mind candy corn anymore. You know, we, we can do better. As a society, we're, we're progressing. <laughs> we're, 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 trying to, we're trying to create a better future for the youth. We can show them a better future. I'm tired of looking at candy corn and thinking how delicious, delicious it should be and then just being lied to. Like, and it's not for, as my coworker so recently made me aware, I'm pretty sure it's not halal. So not only is it visibly attractive, but textually disgusting, it's also haram and that's just not cool. Why well, it's like some sort of Trojan horse snack that no one should enjoy nor produce. I mean, ironically, it's perfect for Halloween because you expect it to be delicious and you bite into what's essentially like 10 week old frosting from like a canceled episode of Cake Boss. So it's very scary. Uh, so you hit the nail on the head for me. It does taste exactly like frosting and that's what I like. Stale candy corn, I think is one of the worst things you can put in your mouth. But Oh, I can't imagine what stale candy corn is. I think like. the problem is most of it is stale because it's been sitting on shelves for years and years and years. Like, as you mentioned, there is enough gelatin in there to preserve it until like the meteor comes. So what we get, it, I mean, it's like wine. We're probably getting this year the 2016 vintage of produced candy corn. But unlike wine, it does not get better with age. No, it does not. Um, but I do think like good, like you can tell when it's fresh, you know, like fresh off the cob candy corn oh, is pretty good stuff. I God think the poor bastard that walks into a fallout shelter and instead of Twinkies, it's candy corn. Equal shelf life, just one is you so know, worse. You you just mentioning off the cob, like no one ever thinks about candy corn as corn, but I think the most cursed thing you could do would be to build like an actual cob of candy corn and present it to a child as if that wasn't a form of abuse. <laughs> <laughs> that is abuse. <laughs> like, where would you stick it into? Wait, wait, like, what, what you would do is you get a whole like bag of Tootsie Rolls and hand warm them to the point And once the Tootsie Warm Roll Log was malleable, you could no, put the candy corn. No. Stuff. You would and be charged for <laughs> like, child endangerment for fucking creating a corn log to pass out the Forget Doug Dimmodome. I'm going as myself and handing out candy corn logs. That'll get me reported to the cops in like 10 minutes minimum. So okay. the question is, do you put the corn points facing out or in? Does it look like a corn of cob or like a battle? <laughs> so it's like sharp corn, like the yes. points? <laughs> no, the, you can't do, you can't the, do that. The, you have to put the, points in. The, hand, the, like, handout, the handout cobs are cob shaped, but then myself, I'm going... I'm shaving my head and gluing the candy corns outward facing like Hellraiser, and that's my costume. Oh, like Pinhead. Yeah, exactly. That is so wretched. You know what's actually the worst part of that for me, though? I loathe Tootsie Rolls. Tootsie? Tootsie? <laughs> tootsie it's, not, it's not an insect that gives you sleeping. <laughs> no, that, well, that's Seetzy. I don't like, I don't like Tootsie Rolls at all. Like, I think they taste like wax. Like, what people think candy corn tastes like, I think. Tootsie Rolls it too. wasn't wasn't Tootsie Timmy Turner's girlfriend from that show. I swear to God. 
We're, was, we're doing a lot of fairly odd pods talk today. Trixie, come correct. It's, it's, it's a fairly odd pod, yeah. Um, the a Tootsie Pop though. Oh, bang! How many, likes, how many likes does it take? Is the question. A one, <laughs> a two, a three. I am oh. not sure if I've ever made it more than twenty likes through a Tootsie Roll. I just started eating it. Yeah, I think that's the point because like. This is riveting for people to listen to, but like when the roll gets crunched and the candy parts get in the roll, that's one of life's great delicacies. Oh, absolutely. No, hard agree. Absolutely. Do not call the governor. The governor is invited to the house to have crunched candy Tootsie Roll combinations. And I think that's that's elegantly cultural right there. Elegantly cultural. I'm, I'm, I'm chef's kissing on camera. Right, let's move on to the next cultural scenario. The Scream reboot. Does the governor need to be called? I say yes. Okay. Uh, I say no. I, right. I'm, I'm, I, I'm okay with leaving the, go- the governor on silent on this one. No, although the governor, something, it, someone must be stopped. We can't have, like, the, the roller coaster of Scream as someone who is unabashedly a horror movie whore. I've watched every bad one they've ever made. Going from one to two, down to three, back up to four, this can only inevitably slide further. Yeah. Okay, but when but when has mainstream American horror not been campus shit? Like, are we really going to rank our horror movies on quality? Is there, is, do we have Anton well, Hugo out here? Like, there, like there are like ripping on Scream? I think there are like classic American horror movies, like Hall- like the original Halloween, I think is not camp at all like genuinely frightening like the thing so scary the shining if you're gonna call that a horror movie i think is like not like genuinely like bone chilling if not are these are these the classics for being like the bedrock of modern mainstream horror or just just because they came first or were they made as classics movies like yeah Yeah. fair great horror movies Truly great horror movies frequently are just good movies by themselves. This the Scream reboot and on, of, of the trailer that's only out right now, it commits both of the sins where it's just shoehorning modern technology into it with like the phone app unlocking the doors. Yeah. And I know it's gonna be Drek. I know it's gonna be and, they, and, and, and it and it shoehorned AF, but there has to be I, I thought about that too, like all these movies where it's like oh the killer's inside facebook ooh, you know shit like that but that is part of our modern life now you can't not have some representation of that in in the mainstream you know so wes craven is dead like <laughs> yeah oh, look <laughs> that that's what i like i don't trust these this new team to do this movie justice really and the trailer, I think, had the same problem that so many trailers do right now, in that it just shows way too much of the movie. Like what 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 are the deeds? I've seen the trailer, but you seem to know, you seem to know a little bit. What's what's the scoop? It's just like a new, it's a new generation of kids, which is what they did like 10 years ago with like Dame Emma Roberts and Hayden Panettiere and like all these other people in the 2011 version, which was pretty good. Which was good. Yeah. But this one. I mean, it's not as many, like, they're bringing back all, like, the original people, like, Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, like, the whole gang's back. 
but the new people seem like well like a they show them all getting killed basically in the trailer which is not a spoiler they just do in the trailer that's that's just trailers these days sucking complete garbage yeah that's its own problem egregious for this for scream like the reason it's amazing was its twists yeah horror horror like dying no pulse at the time that that movie came out i cannot and i could be totally wrong I cannot imagine a twist of this that redeems what looks, as Drew says, the trailer just shows a bad movie. I don't yeah. know something hiding underneath. No, that's fair. I guess, because and what's funny is, and we've talked about this in other conversations too, I'm usually not a fan of cash-grabby sequels. I guess I've always just put horror in like its own bracket where I'm okay with like kind of reiterating this the scenario, you know? Because it's, 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 it's kind of tracking a holiday and holidays happy yearly. So shit, what are you going to do? Yeah. If I gave you a new Christmas story every 15 years and I told you it was going to be somehow different, would you still watch that movie? Just because well, oh, it only it only rolls around every so often. I'm Andrew sure Andrew is calling for the too. Santa Claus one through twenty-five. Um Hold on. Well, I, I've, Tim Allen in work. Well, I I've seen Fred Claus twice where they had Ludacris do a remix of Here Comes Santa Claus. So I think that my Christmas <laughs> tastes are impeccable. Oh boy, that I have never seen that movie. I remember in twenty in two thousand seven, I was like, "Oh, this is so gay of me." I was too, in two thousand seven whenever it came out. I was like, "Oh, this cast," and I was like begging my parents to take me, but then um, they didn't because the reviews were bad. Which not because it was immature. My mom like just because the reviews were bad. Well, I didn't see Kangaroo Jack in theaters either. My mother is a Hallmark aficionado and has watched every bad police drama that the BBC has ever put out, which is (laughs) thousands of hours of television. Yeah. So they took me to every terrible movie. And I had to, I think I had to come up with the conclusion that the sequels are just bad. Don't give them any more money to continue making them. Surely, surely there was one, there was one diamond in the rough. Was there a single example of, of the genre that you enjoyed? We don't have enough time here to recount what I've seen. Oh, God. You That's people trauma. wouldn't believe the things that I've seen. Deep-seated. I have a fear and loathing of British people from this day hence. Okay, calm down there, Roy Batty shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, once again, hate speech on my pod will not be tolerated. No anti-twink slurs, no anti-British slurs. Enough. Enough. Okay, we're going to move on to the last cultural scenario. Okay, bear with me here. That thing where you walk through a mad scientist's lab with a blindfold on and you touch monster guts, but it's really spaghetti or something. Does the governor need to be called? I say no. Leave that fucker at home. I am all about that. So you just, you're some (laughs) freak, some weird freak who just likes putting his hand in a bowl of cold spaghetti. You you went to school with me. You answered your own question in my weird freak. Of course. Well... No, you have you have some sort of weird tactile fixation that you're eating candy corn and thumbing spaghetti. Not, hold on, <laughs> not not just regular I, candy corn, candy corn off the cob with I, the I, other I was, side right up. I, I, let me defend myself. I was anti candy corn. I I offered my idea as as the pinnacle of horror. I mean, that's like some real like witch shit right there. Don't tell me that I defended candy corn in front of the people's audience. But I'll you're defending I, right now cold spaghetti in a bowl being passed don't, don't. off to children to like 
don't Queens. don't don't forget pure grapes so you get that real eyeball sensation yeah i think that's vile that's wretched because As what's the point of all of this we, we we want to be spooked that's why we eat candy corn that's why we watch scream five in theaters we want to be hardcore spooked and and and, and, and thumbing whole spaghetti point. does that josh are you spooked point. by grapes no i'm spooked by grapes please <laughs> the only thing that was able to spook me was i think at some point one of the one of the ones I went to put raw chicken in there and they got called on a health code violation. Yeah, no shit. That's, <laughs> scary. That's the real scary one. Yeah, salmonella is scary. You're trying to have people wash their hands afterwards, be like, whatever you do before you leave the haunted house, don't touch your mouth. Be sure to touch your eyes for that okay. real Hollywood experience, kids. But that is so disgusting. Yeah, that's 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 rural rural Illinois. But I think the in the importance of this as a rite of passage for any aspiring horror fan is that it gives you a really big appreciation for practical effects. And I know that's what it did for me. And that's why that I think I came to love Halloween so much is it was a really all-consuming holiday where I got to be visually and tactilely and whatever else you want to lump in there afraid and surprised. And that was just really cool. So I say it must stay. Which on the topic of spook, that's why John Carpenter's The Thing will never be topped. I mean, God, those practical effects, yeah, fantastic. It shan't. They're unbelievable. I mean, like, same thing with, like, I think Alien is also a pretty good example of, like, great practical effects. Like, it's incredible what they did with. It's incredible that they found a man who's, like, 7'4 to play the alien. Yeah. I, oh man, I I shoot, I, I don't even know if I want to say what I'm going to say because I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead in the, uh, in our itinerary make a note we'll get there oh we'll get there well should we maybe this is a good time to um simmer down take some spice take a break and uh we're gonna be right back inner eye opens and we are back let's move on to this episode's cultural emergency josh andrew what are you rushing to the er today the towering achievement of Denise Dune. Man, wow. a- absolute cultural just masterpiece. I'm Incredible. I'm a fan. Sensational. Sensational. Well, okay, so it's no spoiler to say that we all love this movie. Also, speaking of spoilers, I'm going to just issue a ginormous spoiler warning right now. If you have not watched Dune yet, just skip ahead to the last segment but like if you haven't watched dune a why are you clicking on this because you read the episode description already and b like go watch it you freak like it's very good it and i guess this is a nice perk of the movie it is two and a half hours but it really did not feel like two and a half hours not at all that was the shortest two and a half hour movie i've ever seen that is like one of my many takes on it did you guys go see it in theaters because i had to watch it just to twice wow one IMAX uh, and IMAX. Damn, I I just because of like time and theater constraints, I had to do it at HBO or on HBO Max. But like, and I am desperate to go see it in IMAX because it's it just looked and sounded so fantastic. And I wish that like I was there's, in a there's, better. There's so much scale and gravitas, but like there's one scene in particular that you can't do unless it's IMAX. Um, the Sardaukar introduction scene the bass and imax makes that scene so fucking yeah. good 
And that, that wasn't in the book at all. That was just an addition that was just very well inspired. It, it was very on key for what that, for what that um, class of people was about. So just what, what a great understanding of the storyline and the aesthetics of the series itself. But the base on that throat, on that throat scene was ridiculous. Really quickly hop in there and say, okay, so Drew, had you read it before? No. So I am familiar-ish with the general broad story. I have not seen, I have not read the books. I have not seen the 84 David Lynch version. Um, this you're, was you're... my first exposure to actually consuming Dune, but like I was pretty familiar with like the narrative beats and I'm pretty familiar with like what's coming in the just announced today part two. Okay. Thank God. Thank the great makers for part two. But you guys are both book aficionados. So we, I think Andrew, I'm imagining read it far before me. I only read it this summer after the trailer had come out, my boyfriend and I were thinking, okay, so this looks fantastic. We should probably read it because it's a classic and we should try to get through it before the movie comes out. The 21 hour audiobook that I gobbled up every minute of, mm -hmm. which was amazing, absolutely phenomenal, but very much a recent find for me, even though it's been like a central pillar of all nerddom for, it was written in the sixties, God knows how long. I've always I've always told people when I try and like introduce it is that it's not just like an absolute cornerstone, you know, of like the sci-fi canon in general, but it's like uh, it's a masterpiece of fiction in its own right, even if you're not a sci-fi fan. That being said, it is a piece of genre fiction, I think, in a way. So you have to be on board with just having a bunch of made up words and places and concepts thrown at you. But that's sci-fi at its best. I've yeah. always thought so. And sorry if this is a noob question but um is this hard sci-fi technically no not okay. even close yeah it it manages to be way more accessible than most of the things that people say oh well you have to read this uh it, it has like more cultural relevance than i think a lot of other things do it's not as obtuse yeah i although i i was so, sorry go for it well i watched this with my boyfriend who is also a fellow dune novice um and he was really struck by how I mean like and he did a little bit of reading beforehand too about like the influences and stuff but like how like anti-colonialist and how like how much of a metaphor it is for like the Middle East in geopolitics in the 1960s um that Frank it Herbert. is and that was for him like a pretty good gateway into like the general like, like the politics and plot of the movie, I guess. I was going to say that for you and I, Drew, specifically, uh, all of the not-so-subtle allusions to Islam and Arabic culture yeah. with the naming structure, uh, Ustaz Ben Ta'arif would be very proud, I think. Yes, <laughs> yes, he would. The, uh, the, one thing I, I thought was interesting is that, you know, the society has definitely changed since the book was first written and the word jihad specifically was like a huge part of um, the original story. And I noticed that they were always very careful to uh, dance around that in the trailers and the movie itself. Cause you know. They don't actually utter it in the trailer at all. Like is- They, they said crusade instead, which I think was a word that was explicitly not used in Yeah, the that's a pretty charged it, word to use too in a different yeah. way. And but, that's, that's, that just goes back to like some Dune 
some Dune backstory shit. I mean, I, I read this a long time ago. I have, I, I used to have a well-thumbed copy paperback and I would read it so much that it's, it's no longer with me because it's falling apart. But yeah, very, very well-read book. So I do have a few quibbles with the movie. First of which that... being that it is like that you can't do this entire book as one movie. I think like we've seen in the past how like, I mean, everyone's like primary complaint with the Lynch version is that it just is too messy and diffuse. The 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 one sentence summary that I've been telling like people is like just like my my ultimate like just take out like really quick hot take on the movie is that it's the best adaptation of Dune that we're ever going to get. I don't think it's perfect in that again, like I think that as a dense, really backstory heavy and context heavy and theme heavy novel it was never going to be able to be squeezed in one movie i think two movies is enough three might have pulled it off i think a super high budget miniseries would have been ideal but considering that we did get a screen adaptation and this is what we did get it's the best movie adaptation that we could have received we are also getting a miniseries on hbo max about the bene Gesserit. Oh, as well called it. dune the sisterhood that will be coming out at some point in the next few years I just think, I think the biggest thing you can say about this movie against this movie, I guess I should be more articulate, is that it is a lot of extremely well-rendered exposition. Oh, are you saying it's a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily given the book or like given the source material and like how unwieldy it is to like conform it to like a traditional narrative or whatever a narrative structure in a movie but like i do when you actually like zoom out not much actually happens in this movie oh yeah setting the stage is it's really interesting because having really recently listened to the audiobook and then also watched the lynchian 84 one which is an entire topic unto itself but like so much of the story and the world building happens as inner monologues. And also really critically, every chapter of the book is sort of presaged by this character they have who's supposed to be writing a retrospective like biography about the main character. And so there's so much of this that's getting filled in and colored by things that I, you know, there's really no good way to put it in the movie. And I was really hoping to still hear some illusions from that character, but- You you know that, that an author put in a shitload of world building and like thought behind how the world works and the characters in the story when there is an appendix at the back of the book. I mean, you don't see that in every piece of, of fiction, but I mean, you definitely need to kind of dig back to it every now and then. Cause I mean, Dune's got a lot of stuff to introduce concepts and stuff. I mean, I, I'm curious to, to hear Drew what you, thought you know as someone who hasn't read the book if you were able to follow along and you felt like you were well enough introduced to what was happening not just in terms of the story but like the world itself yeah so i will say i did read a primer article on vulture um that basically ran down some in a non-spoiler way some of the lore of frank herbert's world that were just kind of helpful to know going into the movie because i I do think there are parts of this movie that would be sort of either impenetrable or would go completely by you. 
if you didn't know going in what actually was going on like the whole thing with um the what's what's his name like Tufik the Tufir the Mentat Tufir the Mentat yeah Yeah. I I don't think I would have known that he's supposed to be like basically a human calculator and that his eyes were rolling back unless I had read that um I'm, I'm, I'm on screen. I'm rolling. So I just want to talk. Like, I, that, 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 that's like my prime example. No, because seriously, that's like my prime example. Like as someone who did know what was going on, I thought to myself, if I didn't know what was going on coming in, I would have no fucking idea. Yeah. Who is this guy? Why is he rolling his eyes at the back of his head? And, you know, you just described what he is. Mentats are people in the Dune universe who have trained themselves because of a whole other thing I could talk about, how computers and AI aren't allowed in the Dune universe, but it's a class of human that's trained themselves to be supercomputers but they don't even touch on that once in the movies and then peter the other dude um who had a similar uh marking on his lip who is with the baron all the time he's a mentat too and you would also have no idea that was the case if you hadn't read books or read an article beforehand Mm -hmm. and this is all to say like though the quibbles is the great word for it like of all the things that are quote-unquote wrong with the movie it's basically just like, oh, we don't have enough time to explain a lot of the background and why some of these things are the way they are. Yeah. Before you get into everything it does right. But but they do do a pretty good job of outlining a lot of world building in a way that feels pretty organic. And like, yeah, it's expository, but it's not like too, it's not inaccessible. Like, and it's not boring either. Like, I think I've seen some reviews of this movie that call it like just boring exposition. And I don't think that's, it really call the having yeah (laughs) like having having labels of the planets and like a little primer about like the backstory of arrakis helpful like those like beautifully shot but like actually definitely very expository scenes of like timmy looking at his like hollow deck basically of like and studying like textbooks and stuff about arrakis just pure exposition but it looks so gorgeous and feels so immersive that you almost don't notice right that they did a pretty good job with the spice for instance i was like oh they could have just had him with the holodeck the whole time but we have the spice as like a physical thing that they have the fremen like smoking in an incense thing it's like oh that's the thing that's on arrakis and then you have the literal next scene a gale highliner flying over hell which was like a perfect introduction to how spice is important to interstellar commerce too and i'm thinking oh that's that's a pretty clever way of doing that yeah i I think because and most of his movies do seem this way denny's approach to it requires a little bit of effort on the viewers part where like like things are just nicely adjacent to one another and you can kind of pick up what the implied meaning is supposed to be without Mm -hmm. the five extra minutes of characters talking about it so I guess I could see that if you're going into it expecting to be spoon-fed it, it could feel boring because they're just sort of skipping over what you're expecting to hear. But even then, I just, it's just too good. It's, I think the, the two best things about the movie for me were, I mean, just the visual world that he's created and the auditory world is just like the scale and the scope of this movie is unbelievable and i i really liked blade runner um 2047 which i believe was his was movie 47 prior to this 49 2049 2049 yeah. 
um, yeah. which I believe was his movie prior to this one. Apologies if I'm missing one. It, it was, but that movie was, was fucking unbelievable too. And like it's world building, set design. Like it's obvious. These are both obviously very like CGI heavy movies in a lot of ways, but they don't really feel like it. Like they're, they're very lived in. I mean, they look like they could be real places. Yeah. And I mean, they did shoot a lot of it on site too. Like um, the Caladan scenes were filmed in Norway. And most of the Arrakis scenes, like out in the desert proper and like other parts of the movie were shot in Jordan and Dubai. I was going to say, I mean, were those, were those Jordan? Cause that looked just like the the same scenes from the Martian and Wadi room where they filmed all those scenes. Yeah. It looked almost the same. Hey, if it's aesthetic, you know, no, I, I agree. And out of all the things in the movie, whether it be characters or the set pieces or whatever, the scale and aesthetics, I think were the 11 out of 10 best done part. I mean, I don't know what I guess I envisioned in my head when I read these as a lad, but this is how I'm going to see them in the future. They just fit the size of the Dune universe and the empire and this kind of nobility focused society so well. And it, it it's just such a big world. And I thought you're right. He captured that extremely well. Uh, you know, whatever other nitpicks or quibbles there are that is something that's untouchable about this movie I mean, one of the things i don't know whose responsibility each of the each of the pieces is but like the cinematography and the camera arrangement was just impeccable the selection Mm -hmm. for the big locations impeccable but one of the things that i was talking about with my boyfriend and was like probably some of the most stunning stuff are the smaller scenes between characters specifically the early stuff with the benny Gesserit mother on caladan where it's like this oppressively dark stormy scene and they're wearing these very witchy robes the first yeah. time introduced to these mystic people was absolutely incredible i mean it was just and was and previous gorgeous. adaptations previous adaptations adaptation attempts have made some different characters or costumes look downright i'm not gonna lie downright goofy i mean the, the reverend mothers look like weird nuns the sardaukar always look like garbage in every other adaptation the Sardaukar were menacing in this. The Reverend Mother was that that was a tense, tense scene. I mean, the costume oh. could have been goofy, but that was like that was a harrowing look that she had. Can I just say if the if this movie doesn't win best costume design, I don't know what I'm gonna do this year. It, it's gonna sweep a lot of the technical awards. I think I think the the Reverend Mother scene was my favorite scene in the movie. And that and the the siege of Arrakis was also beyond like absolutely very it it made everything in the last three star wars movies look like horseshit like (laughs) it's so hard to shoot like which which i mean we've seen seen how hard it is to shoot like big fight scenes in like blockbusters these days without making it seem like too choppy or just like a sludgy collage of like weird punches and like no one knows who's hitting who or who's shooting who like pew it's like not cohesive this you could tell exactly what was going on it was so suspenseful like so beautifully done but incorporates the movie's lore like the Hans Zimmer score for this was on like among his best I thought that has to be I, I don't know what they're using but in a lot of the scenes where I feel like it's mostly the Harkonnen stuff they are using like a rain drum or some just really echoey hollow instrument with these sort of yeah. crashing and cascading trills. The Atreides uh, themes, you got the bagpipes going too. Oh, I thought that was 
such a good choice for all those because so much sci-fi and I love this too, but so much sci-fi is like sweeping orchestras or like a synthesizer, but in the far future, even though things change, like even though we have technology today, we still use instruments that we've been using for hundreds or thousands of years, you know, strings, percussion, et cetera. And in the far future, it's, it was cool to think, oh shit, these people still do use bagpipes or have throat singing or what have you. It made it seem yeah, it ain't, very, it ain't broke, very authentic. It. Sorry? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like those are yeah. staples yeah. of modern music and or just human music and probably always will be. Human music. <laughs> I loved the Harkonnen scenes too, just because I thought the, I mean, quote unquote character design was so good and so such a different tack to take from like, I've seen like memes of like Baron Harkonnen from like the 1984 oh, version and stuff. Like, no, it, no, no. and he looked like just, I mean, it's, I get that like effects were different back then, but like that version of the character just looks like kind of like busted Jabba the Hutt a little bit. Because in, you know, the Baron, his character literally is so fat, he's not able to walk. That's why he has the anti-grab implants. And there's no way I always thought to make that look scary or menacing. Like he, he literally flew like a fucking balloon in the Dave Lynch version. And it was just ridiculous. But they made a fat scars guard look like the scariest thing in the world just floating down the hall. I don't yeah. know how they pulled that off, but it was so good. The first scene when... <laughs> the reverend mother leaves and he's talking to like peter devries and he just like shoots up and you were like oh i didn't know he could do that it it was so and andrew having seen the the lynch one is also there we i immediately after i finished the audiobook i, I watched the lynch one and it was one of the funniest things i've ever seen because for any curious listeners please go watch the the baron scene on youtube from the David Lynch one, and then compare there, any of the trailers. There, there, there are there are two reasons to watch the Dave Lynch version. It's to see Sting wearing a diaper. That's not a typo. That's a grammatically correct oh English God. sentence. There's Sting in a diaper. That's just a thing in the movie. And then you also get to see Patrick Stewart play a chord progression from the Beach Boys. So that's just <laughs> yeah. another plus. If any of those things are to your fancy, please. <laughs> Um, but I, oh, I have my own thoughts on David Lynch. I, that's I just a different the, podcast. The, the the dissonance between what we got with Denny and what we got with Lynch is like, and I think Lynch has gone on record as saying like, I didn't want to make that movie around this time. They were making me like I was, my hand was forced by the studio for money, whatever. And Denny, on the other hand, has gone and said, I wanted to do this since I was a teenager. I can't believe I got to do this. And every ounce of love and setting up the emotional weight of all the scenes but especially i think making the baron seem like a villain worth fearing was amazing absolutely it was just it was just i can't gush about the movie enough Uh, this is a good segue i think into my second favorite thing about the movie which is the cast the cast save for one exception which we can debate maybe but i thought that especially rebecca ferguson becky fergie as lady jessica was she i she really carried carried tore eight no crumbs incredible stuff i think she was the best in the movie and i was with saying that stellan skarsgård for as few lines as he had was also amazing great she she just killed it yeah out of all of the the cast that they picked i funny you mentioned her because i think that she was the one that looked the most like how i imagined one of the original characters in my head i don't know Mm -hmm. if he's just reading my dream journal but spot on i liked i i mean not knowing much about the movie like i'm glad that she got like 
some kick-ass scenes too like the scene in the chopper when they're about to be dropped in the desert kick-ass lady jessica which, kicked ass that which rendition are, of the voice which is a huge thing com again compared to the lynch one the voice in this sounds so oppressive and cool and otherworldly as opposed to just being loud like yeah they, they could have made it screechy but absolutely it felt like a real thing that you could hear it was i i, I thought that was a very great stylistic choice i would um, also like to shout out oscar isaac for being dumb hot um oh pure pure fan I'm service for the gays to get his his death scene be completely nude i don't know if it's like that in the book or not but like that was I, nice well, and gratuitous the, the the biggest surprise for me when i saw like the original casting a few years ago i was like okay cool i can like check off this character this character this character when i saw they had uh jason momoa for duncan idaho i'm like this is gonna be weird this is not how like you know 15 year old whatever me imagine it at all he flipped to being like one of the better interpretations of a character i thought i don't know if he just just acted his heart out or if Denis just was like i can tell he's going to be a great duncan but he ended up becoming how i now see duncan in my head when i think of that character this movie really convinced me that jason momoa is like a legitimate movie star i think like he's, kind of he's so right. charismatic he's he's great in this movie oh yeah i, I, I think... mean I... oh go for it no i <laughs> I imagine, like you said, we're probably going to debate about one of the other casting choices, <laughs> but I, I thought she was, as a, as a fan service to the gays, the curly hair and stubble beard <laughs> crew will eat very well upon seeing yeah. this movie. Um, but yeah, I think that he, having seen Aquaman, there were there were hints that he actually has the potential to do more than just look really good. Yeah, and I think that he actually puts it pretty well on display in this movie. It was very funny to me that Zendaya, I, I had heard from friend of the pod, John Boone, that she was in it for like four no days. time at all. But when she <laughs> that was underselling it, she was she was in it for exactly seven minutes of a two and a half hour movie. Which, Katso, correct me if I'm wrong, Cheney, her character, doesn't actually really show up until like no. after the book. No. Well, so the, the problem was, I mean, like Paul throughout the book was having visions of Arrakis and of her so they they couldn't not do that and I think they might have done it maybe maybe a little too much I mean maybe they could have spent some of the time doing other stuff but they couldn't not have her show up in the visions but it's funny again that all the scenes she was in were visions because then she could show for four days on set walk through Jordan in sandals or maybe a back lot in fucking California who knows and it, still it, I think so they, they flew her out it was, I, I do think the visions got a little silly by the end of the movie, just because the whole time she was like, you Oh, my dude, my dude, you should, you should, you should read the book then. There is visions on visions on visions. So, so many visions. This is, this is underplaying the visions. The second half of the book turns into this really trippy sort of super psycho, whatever, like, it, essentially it's like one long projection and vision about what's going to happen in the future. Could, could you tell that Frank Herbert was very interested in psychedelics? Yes. <laughs> in the 60s, you don't say. Uh, but the the one thing about that is that, like, the, um, oh, God, the scene, which happens about halfway, I think, through the movie, which is supposed to be the turning point in Paul's character, in the book is, like, this very long, multi-page multi paragraph, uh, sort of, like, ascendancy, like, psycho, psychoactive trip, and they just sort of... How much can we talk about 
cut it stuff out. that's not and in let's, a, a current let's movie. Cut so keep part it two off. Except okay. there are three. Hold on. There are I, I, three more before, things I would like to get to. Really. Okay, you go. I just want to say really quick about the cast. This is gonna and, and even though we're trying to move on, this is gonna create like a firestorm. But I thought the two people, the cast that I was not sure about were the two big names. I don't know how I still feel yet about Timmy and about Zendaya. Okay, I will say, so I, Timmy is one of the things I want to talk about. Um, I am not convinced that Timmy is good. So, oh my God, I'm, I'm actually, okay, so I'm, I'm surprised to hear you agree with me. I was expecting to hear like disagreement. So Our Twink King, great <laughs> Mr. Twink Cheek, King. Mr. Cheekbones oh. himself, Twink Bones. Uh, I, he, he's so good and call me by your name. I do, I would like to see part two, how he plays this role. Cause this is a pretty passive role for him. Like a lot of stuff happens to and at Paul. Mm. And it's a very like interior role. And like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who could have done this better maybe just cause it's such a, it's, it's a very specifically written part, but I, I don't know, Timmy, Timmy. He- he, he I, has he has excellent acting chops, but the character Paul is kind of just like this dumpy fucking nerd who is thrust into a situation that's kind of the deal. And Timmy seems like he's too kind of already self-assured and confident, if that makes sense. That's, I'm actually going to go in the polar opposite direction. I think oh. that in the first half of the book, Paul is, while he has shows potential, he is someone who's ultimately like... I don't know. He's a fucking nerd. He's a nerd. I mean, there's, there's no, I mean, you know, he tries to be the son of, of one of the greatest houses of the empire. And, you know, he, he's trying to live up to that. But at the end of the day, he's just a fucking nerd. The pressure's taken him off from early where he's like, you know, oh, don't worry. You know, uh, we're going to, you know, take Arrakis for street or throw the girl over house. Uh, defeat the others, so on and so forth. Which like, is what, which is what, which is what someone stuff. childish is going to say. It's like it's play acting tough. You, you know, but someone what, who actually. What Drew's saying in that in "Call Me by Your Name," this awkward teenager who plays very well in this movie, where we're supposed to have an awkward teenager in the first half, it still doesn't resonate. I, like I feel, that yeah, meringue of a man may he be. He's just not visually perfect, but acting just doesn't hit. I think part of it is that he has such a cult of personality around him right now. We know, I think, almost way too much about Timothy Chalamet. And I think you can say this about a lot of actors in the age of social media, but like there was no point during the movie in which I wasn't thinking to myself, oh, that's Timothy Chalamet. Exactly. And Zendaya to the same extent too, but I'm I'm gonna table Zendaya for me. For me personally, I'm going to table her because, like, she was in the movie for exactly seven minutes and had two lines of note. Like, and and, and I agree. Like, like Timmy, I I wasn't. I'm not sure of because I don't know if I 100% liked what I saw as Zendaya. I don't know if I've seen enough to make a judgment yet. That's why. Yeah. I um. I also would like to give. Oh, for God's sake. oh we have a lot. What what is going on over there? You could you just got like zoomed uh like beamed up like they do in Dune. Beam me up, my, Scotty. One of the my favorite lines from Dune. Because my parents' dog is being annoying. Oh, oh, um, I'm, I'm dog sitting. 
I would like friend. to give a special shout out to um, Sharon Duncan Brewster, who played Dr. Liet Kynes. She was really good. Yeah. Really, really good. I had I was not familiar with her work before the movie, and she was fantastic. She, I think, was the only gender swapped character from the books. And oh, is that, I, that gender swapped? Yeah. yeah, and I and watching her play that role, I'm like, I'm all about it. No issues whatsoever. She pulled it off and probably made it a little more impactful, honestly. I mean, I think it's 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 an appropriate choice, and they could have gone one of two ways with it. Because in the book, he's supposed to be this sort of grizzled, tall, white, old white guy. Yeah. Was he was he white though? I'm pretty sure they say he's supposed to be white, and then he spent so much time on Arrakis that he starts getting friend. He wasn't. Oh. So so that's one thing I did forget. Did he go native, or was he a fremen that joined like the Imperial Malu? I think it's the former. Okay. But I could have also lost that point. Yeah. The The point is, he she strides between worlds. That's that's the character's point, I guess. There, okay, so let's, second points, because we do have to wrap this up eventually, but like there are no. two other things I would like to talk about. Another casting question for movie number two, who should be cast as Princess Irulan? Am I yes. saying that right? Yes, my favorite character missing from the book. I am not sure, but it needs to be someone with- I think, I think the better question is, who do you cast as the emperor and then go from there so that she's like related to him? How is that's a good approach? How is the how old is the emperor supposed to be? The grand Padishah? He's Padishah? old. My, yeah. my, my, my boy Shaddam the fourth is grizzled. He is he's an old one. This sounds uh this sounds like a role for Bradley Cooper. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's probably they're probably gonna cast like Anthony Hopkins or something. Who, supposed to be, mm, who who who's a, who's who's a Charles Dance who is not Charles Dance? Because at this point you can't just have Tywin Lannister be the emperor. Like everyone <laughs> you know who would that. be great stunt casting, actually, Denzel Washington. Hmm. Oh, okay. he's old enough. Yeah, I'm that, not the only other person I would say because I love them and in most things though I know that right now their stock is much lower considering their behavior but Gary Oldman wouldn't have been a visual incongruity yeah Gary Gary Oldman could could give it um Irulan I'd have to think I like I would love like a lot of people on Twitter were like oh Saoirse Ronan should do it Oh, that, no. actually, that would be interesting. She, I mean, interesting, she's, good, but, uh, she's good in everything. It's, like, not interesting to be, like, oh, Saoirse Ronan. Who's, um... I'm going to be reprimanded for this. The the actress from Lady Bird. Saoirse Ronan. Oh, my God. Okay, so... <laughs> I'd face swap, though. Yes, absolutely. I think that would be a if great you wanna, If you want to take great-sounding voice plus sci-fi voice acting experience... I mean, I don't want like to keep talking about voice, but I just... If we had Keith David as the emperor, oh my god! That oh, would that would be good. Yeah, cast like that a, and he's like a real genre guy too. Like, yeah, like yeah. I, I will say there are maybe a few too many like movie star movie stars in this movie. Like having a few more character actors to like balance things out because even like smaller roles in this part of the movie, like Josh Brolin as Gurney, that's like pretty big stunty casting for a person who's only in this movie for like i think he had what like one one big scene yeah and then he gets like lost in the battle yeah so 
when like, we're not going to spoil the like, loss yeah, in the battle. Who are, who, are, who are some up-and-comers to play the princess? I'm trying to think about that. Now. One name that I, and this is just because I watched you season three recently, but they're, they're going to pull a Zendaya and cast someone who is really like a TV actor looking for their big movie break. I would like to suggest Victoria Pedretti, who has been in, she was just, she's been on you for a few seasons of the mm-hmm. show, you. And she was in the haunting of Hill House and haunting of oh um oh I could see this oh my god I, I think she is like an up and comer that they're really trying to cast in more things and I think she'd be ah! fantastic. I, I don't know how yes. to put this, but she's got like she's got like haunted kind of eyes. That's like a good like yeah. princess of a galactic empire. She look. does a lot of like horror and thriller TV work, and I think like that. I mean. That's a good vibe for this kind of movie, I think. Like, because Rebecca Ferguson also has more of a similar background, and she went into this movie. She came on this bitch mad as hell, completely. <laughs> I'm a Killing Eve stan. I love Jodie Comer. I think she, I don't know if the last oh. movie ended up being her big break, but she did just get a big movie. The um, well, the last duel is like like floppyana like it made four million dollars in its opening weekend against a hundred million dollar budget like oh, that movie i wanted to see it flopped like, i've heard it's good though interesting um josh a character that that you mentioned just in another conversation we were having like the other big missing character who's going to be cast as fade rotha i think like they're intentionally keeping that very vague like it's going to be a big reveal the I mean, the Baron is supposed to be the central antagonist, but who's going to be like the the one stepping forward as the presence of evil in the second book is basically Fade, and I don't I don't know. I actually feel hot take. I mean, maybe he's a little too like mincing and spidery, but the the actor they got to play for Piter, I actually could have seen as Fade. He you was know, really was, good. He was great. Who, and I criminally who, who was he? Because I remember him. He was in Ant Man, and he was in like he's like in a, sui- a He was in character. the new Suicide Squad too. His name's David Dasmalchian. He's this like character actor who's been around for years now and is having oh, a very God. good like 2021. Oh, he played. I didn't watch Suicide Squad because like fuck that. But like what a um, what a well cast. He was polka dot. Holy polka shit. dot man. Yeah, as the so, one who walked between worlds of the straights and the gays, I saw Suicide Squad and I thought it was great. <laughs> what? Wait, one last one last thing we must talk about. Um, I mean, we got to talk about that worm. How do we go? How, <laughs> or, or as Twitter calls it, the forbidden butthole. <laughs> very. I I've been like dreading the like the preponderance of Twitter gays that are about to use the like the worm pick for like nefarious like basic. And I just can't. Every, I I'm like I'm calling every nerdy grinder profile. Nope. Show me your worm. Yeah, show who up planned with a worm. Um, again, testament to the effects team. Worm, worm looked great. She had a fantastic premiere. I don't know where they're gonna get a red carpet wide or long enough for her, but I want to see more. Um, I heard that Dolce and Gabbana is dressing her for part two, the red carpet tube dress. <laughs> yeah, well, she's coming out there as her own. Like, Imagine like being the worm. Red. Like you're like, oh, who's she? Who's that walking <laughs> down the street? And it's like the sandworm, the shy halud herself, in like this May beautiful sequin gown. <laughs> May her passing the Channel Nine right. newscopter five hundred feet above the air. <laughs> 
And then Rebecca Ferguson is behind her and she's like, yeah, I had a really good time working on set with the worm. The worm was so easy to work <laughs> with. She was so lovely. Um, I love her. I love that worm. Then you have the uh, the E reveal where it's like, God, the worm is such a bitch. Off <laughs> the worm does like the Manny cam and like sticks their <laughs> teeth and like, and Juliana Rancic is like, oh, wow, look at that. So, so hold on. The Drew, the worm has been such a big part of sci-fi for so long that like it's just achieved mythical status. As someone who's fairly new to Dune, what is what is just your take on the worm? Okay, so I knew what the worm was. Like the worm and Dune are just like inextricably linked at this point. So I I knew there was a worm. I was not prepared for how legitimately like sort of scary the worm was in this movie. Like every time the visuals of people sinking into the sand happen, I was like genuinely frightened a little bit because that's such a like a visceral sensation of like the ground giving way and then you just fall into a bottomless pit. I think, I mean, not to like compare these two franchises as like a pretty limited sci-fi watcher consumer, but like it is very similar to the Sarlacc pit from... Mm. Return or not? Yeah, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same, same kind of horror, but like the worm is way scarier. The the kind of classic depiction now is almost more of like, in terms of like just motif, I guess, almost a reptilian thing. It's kind of like a leathery skinned. It's got like the classic depiction in fan art or in the Lynch version is like a three big jaws opening and closing. This almost looked kind of like the teeth were almost more like baleen and gave off like a whale kind of vibe which i thought was a lot more kind of more like a leviathan thing which definitely added a lot more mystique and danger to it i mean i think it's not adding how I more teeth it, but it's to anything is scarier like if yeah. i had if i had more teeth on this zoom i would be scarier argue be like argument. who is that i want him we, out of here we, we stand teeth. teeth more teeth or no teeth it's really nothing in between yeah no teeth is scary i think yeah. grandma shit right there like the worm is just a more titanic representation about everything that's scary about Jaws, and everyone thinks Jaws is scary because the yeah. worm is the worm is unseen and the worm is deadlier than you. But also, like putting it onto Arrakis, the planet that is already supposed to be this death sentence, and then it's also oh, the worm's half a mile long and it moves at like twenty-five miles an hour under the sand is just horrifying and they did so well making me almost scared shitless the first time it pops out the look look just like sharks they're misunderstood the majority of their diet is sand plankton read the appendix you guys god i wonder if we're gonna get that scene that very long artful elegant passage where they're essentially like yeah the, 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 it makes the spice the noble shy hoot goes about its days sifting the sand for plankton an unsuspecting spice crawler Flies down in small. A tragic day. And that noble Shai Hulud is played by Jennifer Lopez in part two, <laughs> Doom Part Two. All right. We have to move on to our final segment, Tear the Community Apart. Halloween edition. Halloween edition. <laughs> Why did I yell up like that? The rules are simple. I have picked two songs, and you are going to tell me which one is better. Okay. okay. Easy. Maybe. Easy. Because it's Halloween, I have picked two of the best, if not 
probably two of the only actual dedicated Halloween songs. I usually don't do this. I usually do pop songs, but I wanted to do something spooky for today. So which song is better? The Monster Mash by Bobby Boris Pickett or This Is Halloween by Danny Elfman? Uh, I was about to say, why is that even a question? We got to mash it, but uh, you made it 50-50. See, this is no contest for me. I'm going mash. The You're mash. mash? I'm, I'm mashing it. Okay. 100%. I, I think the as a shout out to my emo days, if it had been the Marilyn Manson redo of the This Is Halloween, that one has a permanent place in my heart. But otherwise, well, he, we, we don't speak his name on this podcast anymore. I'm just, like, I'm just out here. Cancel. Right. So, so, oh, hold on. So I, I missed the news. I don't want to interrupt. What what happened? What, why is uh, why is Mr. Burton canceled? No, Mr. No, 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 Mr. Tim Burton's not canceled. Marilyn Manson is like a predator. Oh shit! Obviously, that we talk about this is Halloween. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, Jack Skellington gaslit me. (laughs) Um, he's it's over for him. It's crickets for Jack Skellington. Sweaty, like the gas Jack Skellington was caught grooming a young femur on the internet. Please, (laughs) please. (laughs) iPhone. That is, oh. This is the content you're listening to. I mean, also, if Marilyn Manson wasn't outed as like a sexual predator slash bastard, Kanye also had him come just chill on the stoop for his merry-go-round whatever he was doing for the Donda album. So that automatically drops him a peg or two. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, I, I I think the original version of This Is Halloween also needs no improvement. I think it's, I think, I you know, I would, I think it is a better song. This Is Halloween is a better song. I love Nightmare Before Christmas. It's like, perfect movie. Haven't watched in a while, really would like to watch it like maybe this weekend. Because it's the perfect thing to actually watch on Halloween. Because you know, on November 1st, the Christmas shit's coming out. So like, it's a good bridge to the season. But you can watch it all the way up to Christmas too. Exactly. <laughs> it's the movie that has stayed. You know, however, though, it's not a graveyard smash. No. Categorically, the monster mash is a graveyard smash. And for that reason, I agree that it should probably take this, this, oh this contest here. Have you had Amen. a unanimous vote before? I have had almost exclusively unanimous votes on this podcast. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, because I usually only have one guest instead of two and unless like they have like dissociative identity disorder and are like fighting with themselves which is very halloweeny um they they usually pick one but i i yeah i think the monster mash is probably the correct answer here not i don't get to play this game i'm just saying what i think which is basically me playing this game the community community in part for you through when when is it going to be your turn you're going to come up with one for me? Oh, fantastic. We'll have to submit that to the pod retrospectively. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Wait, I want This is like, a, oh, wait, this is also, um. I don't know why I'm bringing this up right now, but this is also the 30th episode of Crisis Twink. So, hey. woo! <laughs> Hooray! 30, the big 30, a really fun milestone for everyone. <laughs> it's all um, downhill from here. It's all downhill from here. Make no, sure I, I am going to do at some point a, a big bracket kind of thing, I think, for mm. 30 for the wormy. Pretty early. Yeah, like a March Madness kind of thing. 
So now, but now because the monster mash has won, it will go into a bracket against something like, um, I don't know, like levitating by Dua Lipa. (laughs) (laughs) Hypothetically, out of the monster mash or levitating by Dua Lipa, who wins? Uh, The mash, for sure. I'm with the matches. Well. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you I'm are going to come on to my podcast and tell me that the monster match is better than levitating by Dua Lipa. 50 years, who will remember Dua Lipa's name, but they will remember that it was a graveyard. Okay, I do, I do actually, I do get that. Um, I do understand that because the monster match has outlived so many like number one hits that have like faded into history or whatever. Like, I think more people know how to sing like the monster mash than they do like i don't know tell it to my heart by taylor dane like it's not it's an it's an enduring classic for a reason but like most songs that are released on spotify apple music where have you are not graveyard smashes and once again i just have to reiterate they 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 catch on in a flash but they are not smashes they're not graveyard smashes and the monster mash is categorically possibly the only graveyard smash quite possibly I don't know what else would come close. Maybe I'm sure Lady Gaga has a song that is a graveyard smash of some sort. But uh, if, we're, if we're talking holiday music, it's obviously uh, the ludicrous remix of "Here Comes Santa Claus." If you so, don't play that for the, your Christmas edition, I'm unsubscribing forever. I'll see what I can do. I, we're gonna do a special Fred Claus episode of the podcast. <laughs> I just like mute myself. <laughs> Well, we're really, cl- we're really cl- <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, hundreds of miles away. Vince Vaughn started spontaneously sweating in joy. <laughs> He's running to your house right now. He's never been so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I should have famous libertarian Vince Vaughn on this podcast. I would, I bet he'd do it. But oh, that'd be it. okay. Well, Please. I think we do have to wrap up today. But Josh and Andrew, thank you so much for doing this. This was a true treat. <laughs> um where can people find you on social media if you would like to be found this is a this was a gas i need to make social media i have like a ghosted twitter and a ghosted instagram maybe eventually i'll put my face on it one day i just keep tabs on athletes incredible so i have one ghost who what about you andrew all all i have is an instagram of nature pics and uh me just doing shit so andrew katso at insta.com which will be popping it is popping yeah it do thank you i I do attempt children are not walking in nature as much as they used to and maybe if they see your instagram they'll be like look at this successful homeowner (laughs) he goes outside i should do that and then i can own a house one day industry would be dying without caso so don't 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 forget don't forget all the uh the ski pictures as i buy into another bougie industry Oh, <laughs> coming to Real Housewives of Salt Lake City season three. It's Andrew Katz of Oh, God. That, that's, that's a different pod. A that's a different pod. Um, oh, yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at FKA Pigs with a Z, on Instagram at Drew Haskins with Zs. And you can subscribe to culturepig.substack.com for free weekly newsletters delivered straight to your inbox about a variety of cultural musings. Um, if you're reading this, if you're listening to this on the 27th, um, later this week, I will be dropping a new edition of Cake Charts, my monthly newsletter where I run down the Billboard Hot 100. So if that appeals to you at all, um, smash that subscribe button. 
I'm over I'm overcompensating. I'm very tired. Right now. Do it like, like and subscribe, y'all. Sweet and sassy. Um, okay, well, thank you again, everyone. This was wonderful. And until next time, um, I never close out like this. Bye. Bye. Bye.